Hey, Jubilee family. Uh, man, it's such an honor to, to once again rehearse with you the story of Jesus, to talk about his love, his grace, his mercy, his power, his word in our life is refreshing, it's renewing, it's transformative in these very turbulent times. And last week, we started a series to address the season that we're in, and we didn't have the, the title of the series. I don't know if that was awkward for you. It was awkward for me, but we have the title. It's called Unshaken following Jesus in turbulent times. And I really believe that Jesus is doing something among us that is transformative. You know, we believe that we're in this season where, where Jesus is shaking things. You know, in Hebrews 12, it talks about that. It says he's going to, to shake the world, to shake what can be shaken, so that what cannot be shaken, that is him and his kingdom, would remain, so that we would have a tight grip, that we would have a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And so last week, there were two main ideas that we talked about that are foundational as we embrace what's happening in our country, as we embrace what's going on with COVID, and in particular, racism, that we know that, um, number one, we are going to go, we're not going to go around this pain. So we, the first point came from John 4, 4, where it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, which is an odd thing. Why would Jesus have to do that? Well, he wasn't going to short, he wasn't going to go around the problem. He was going to go right through it. He was going to address the, the racism and the oppression and the bigotry and the bias. He was going to address it head on. And because you and I, we follow a person and we don't follow principles, we have to go with him as well. We're not going to go around the problem. We are going to embrace the pain. The, the, the painful process of introspection, of, of, of inspecting our own heart individually, but as well as a community together, we're not going to go around it. So one, number one, we want to be clear in this season, in turbulent times, we're not going to go around, we're going to go right through. But secondly, our ultimate hope is in the living water that Jesus offers. There's just one supernatural well that will truly satisfy you, and it comes from Jesus. And, and while we honor Jacob's well, while we honor man-made solutions, man-made wells, we, we, we honor the, the men and women right now in our country seeking to reform, to change, to shift uh, policies and systems that need that kind of reform. Uh, our focus, uh, the priority of the Savior was to reveal himself to this woman and our priority is to reveal Jesus, to pay attention, to shine light on the well that is Jesus, because given enough time, all the efforts of man will eventually fall short. Uh, Jacob's well may pacify us for a season, but it's Jesus's well that truly satisfies. And so last week, we talked a lot about his water, and this week, I'm going to talk some about his word. And it's his word that's going to shake us free from some things that can be shaken. And Jesus today is going to talk about some man-made allegiances, some constructs uh, that get in the way of a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And so would you pray with me before we get into this? Lord, Lord we just thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. It's always good. You always lead us to still waters. You always lead us to green pastures. Lord, even in this turbulent times, uh, I would say especially in this turbulent times, Lord, our, our, our commitment is to stay close to you. And I pray that you would lead us and guide us and lead us into truth the way that only you can in your precious name. Every man. Amen. Every man. That's not what I wanted to say. Amen. Okay, so every four years, except 
when there is a global pandemic, the Olympics occupy the world stage. And, and athletes all over the world and, and various different uh, practices, uh, they, they want to work. They work very, very hard for, for a long period of time from a very early age to be seen as the best of the best. And their ultimate goal is to get the gold medal. And in this gold medal ceremony, when they're standing on the stage, uh, the Olympic committee does not ask the individual athlete for their favorite song. You know, it's not like when you go to the Cardinal game, if you go to the Cardinal game, everyone comes up in the lineup and they are, they are introduced to their favorite song. This is their moment. It's their song. But with the Olympics, uh, the song that gets played is not a song chosen by the individual. It is the national anthem, whether that be Japan, Canada, Denmark. It is the national anthem of that country. It is understood that while the athlete is the one that used their time, their talents, their efforts, their ability, their skills, they represent a bigger country. They represent a bigger kingdom. Now, the athlete is a part of that bigger kingdom. It utilizes them. It, it, it includes them, but he or she represents something bigger, something greater. And I bring that up because God has a kingdom made up of all different kinds of people, you know, some black, some white, some Asian, some Indian, some Canadian, African, German, all different kinds of people. And God has made it clear that he would use our individual uniqueness as a part of his design and plan. But his hope is that we would never lose sight of the song of his kingdom, that in wanting to sing our own song, we would not lose the sight of his greater song, tuning out his place in our life. You see, his, the kingdom of God is something that we all want. We all want what his kingdom brings. And in this kingdom, this kingdom has a king. And let me just say, he is so wonderful. He is so amazing. Uh, we want his influence in our life. We want his leadership in our life. And when we embrace his leadership, here's what happens. He surprises us. He surprised this woman at the well, and he surprised his own disciples. They were stunned. They were in awe. They were shaken by what Jesus had done. And my hope, once again, like I said, is that we in this season, that we would be shaken by Jesus, that we would be stunned by Jesus, that we would be in awe of Jesus, that would break us free from any other allegiance that would threaten our allegiance to Christ. And that happens once again through his word, as we'll see. So what are some of these allegiances? Well, we're going to see that they are uh, they could be race and culture as well as ideologies. Let me just talk first about race and culture. Again, I just want to be super clear uh, that God uh, clearly and plainly has made us unique. God cares about all the nations, and He has made the nations of the world and, and the earth and everything that is in it, the canvas of the earth and the nations, they display his glory in a very unique way. And he has no intention for you and I to deny our differences or to let go of our culture. It should not be overlooked that in this story, this woman is able to identify Jesus as Jesus, even though Jesus never said he was Jewish. You know, it had to be in what he said or the way he looked, the way he was dressed. There was something about him that was Jewish. Because like I said, Jesus never identifies himself that way. So in other words, to approach this woman, he did never stop being who he was. He didn't change his look or his language, but he maintained his culture, uh, his culture and racial, racial identity, his racial and cultural identity. 
But here's the bigger point for us. Even though he maintained his racial, racial and cultural identity, uh, he didn't let that get in the way of what his father had called him to do, and it was, which was to reach across this cultural barrier, to, to go across the, the railroad tracks, if you will, to somebody who was different than them, because the text says that the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. So he was, he was breaking away from his racial and cultural identity to do what God was calling him to do. So observation number one, God is not calling any of us to give up our culture, but at the same time, he would want to challenge us. He would want to challenge us not to allow our culture to define our ultimate allegiance. Uh, Dr. Um, Tony Evans uh, who, by the way, was the first black American to write a full commentary on the Bible. He says this. He says, it is technically incorrect to call yourself a black Christian, a white Christian, or Hispanic Christian, or a conservative Christian, or a liberal Christian, to make your color or your culture the adjective and your faith the noun. For it is the job of the adjective to modify the noun. So if you put your Christianity in the noun position and your color or your culture in the adjective position, you have to keep shaping the noun so it looks like your adjective. So you got to keep shaping Christianity to look black or to look white or to look red or to look yellow or to look conservative or to look liberal because it is the adjective's description you give it. Christianity must always, on the contrary, be in the adjective position, so that if anything must be object, uh, adjusted, excuse me, it is the noun of your humanity and not the adjective of your faith. What, what he's saying here is that you and I ought to define our humanity in terms of our faith and not our faith in terms of our humanity. Jesus remained Jewish, but he did not allow the fact that he was Jewish to define what he did and how he expressed what the Father called him to do. It did not keep him from sharing this cup with the Samaritans, which again was unheard of because Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. So while God uses our uniqueness, we can't be so committed to our uniqueness, to our race and our culture, that we operate outside the Christian faith. That is actually how racism started and how racism gets perpetuated. My citizenship, our citizenship, is firstly in heaven. When you and I become a Christian, we... I, I cease to primarily be an American. Uh, I, am, I am a Christian. I am a citizen of heaven first. And I am, we are made up of, of one race, the human race, but not in the likeness of Adam, but in the likeness of Jesus. It doesn't mean that there isn't meant to be diversity. God loves diversity and he honors diversity. And it's such a key part of what God is doing on earth. But in his kingdom, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, free or slave, male or female, we are one in Christ. And God will use, again, he will use our differences, our uniqueness for his glory, drawing all different kinds of people to himself. But those unique qualities are a distant second because of what makes us the same. So we are at risk of letting go of our allegiance to Christ when we overstate our uniqueness. I mean, after all, biologically, we are only point. 0.3% different. Our melanin makes us look different, but we 
we are, we are from one race, the human race. It's not just race and culture, but maybe more painful and poignant, and especially in election year, are ideologies and political preferences can disrupt our allegiance to Christ. Jesus comes to this woman and says, hey, I know about you. You've got five husbands. And I know about the guy that you're with right now. He's not really your husband. And she's like, well, clearly you're a prophet. You've just, you've just said my situation. So let me ask you an age old debate. And so she's got some questions now for Jesus. And she asks a question I think a lot of us are asking right now, which is what side are you on? Are you on the side of the Jews? Or are you on the side of us, the Samaritans, uh, because you and I were raised different. He, you know, she refers to fathers. So she says, you know, your ancestors taught you to live out your faith in a certain way. You worship over here in the temple. In my ancestry, we were taught to, to live out our faith in this way, and we were taught to worship on this mountain. We were raised differently. We have different histories, and you can do your own research, but what was happening here, her, her question was a very, very political question. Worship religion had become a very very uh, political thing. It had to do with power and prominence and posturing and positioning. And her question about what mountain or what, you know, where do we worship and which place is sacred and holy all had become a part of the political landscape. And she wanted to know, okay, Jesus, who's right? <laughs> Just like I think a lot of us want to, okay, who's right? Is, you know, is it the Republicans or is it the Democrats? Is it the conservatives or is it the liberals. What does he do? How does he answer the question? Well, he says, you're both wrong. You know, Joshua, if you go read in the Old Testament, the same question was asked to, that Joshua asked the the commander of the army of the Lord. He comes and he, he, you know, they're getting ready to fight his battle and he comes to the army of the Lord. He says, hey, I just want to know, are you, are you with us? Are you with your enemy? And the Lord says, I am with myself. I am pledged to my Self. And what Jesus answered here, he says, you're both wrong. He says something transcendent is going to happen that is going to create a kingdom that's going to create something that sits above every human institution that will be inaugurated by my cross. That's what is meant by the hour is coming. That hour uh, that theologians are, are quick to point out that that means his time on the cross. So from now on, it's not going to be a matter of affiliation or location, but make no mistake, Jesus here is speaking directly into the divide. He's speaking directly into the racism, the classism, the oppression, and on how these problems get solved. He's speaking directly into the traditions of men, to the constructs of men, and he is debunking, he is trying to pull apart in this conversation these man-made notions. He's saying, look, you are all my children. You are all my bride. I love you. I am not interested in your man-made affiliations. Rest assured. So this is, this is the thing for us. Rest assured that in this critical moment in history, when so much is at stake and tensions are high and the line has been drawn in the sand, rest assured, Jesus is not wondering right now, are you going to vote red? Are you going to vote blue? Are you going to vote green? Our allegiance, your allegiance and my allegiance is not to a red elephant or a blue donkey, but to a slain lamb. And at the mention of his name, this is how wonderful he is. At the mention of his name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord, that he is the boss and governments come and go, but Jesus Christ is forever. And while some of us are wondering, will my party, will, you know, will things go my party's way? 
or will it go my opponent's way? What really matters isn't who's sitting in the Oval Office in Washington, but who sits on the throne of your heart. Will we be those, Jesus is asking, will we be those who see our faith through the lens of our political party, or will we be those who see our political party through the lens of our faith? If we do, if we see our political party through the lens of our faith, we will see that all power, that, that power corrupts the heart of men and it, and, it, and it pollutes all human institutions. But to Jesus, to Jesus, we can say, be, the, be all the glory and all the power forever. We can't say that about a political party, but we can say that about Jesus. We want him to have all the power. We don't want it. We want to get all the power to Jesus. He is our righteousness. He is our justice. He is our joy. It is not, it is not a democracy, but it's a, it is the, a theocracy, the Bible says, that will cause justice to roll like a river. So here's the danger for you and I. It's, the danger for you and I is in Mark 7, where where Jesus points out that we can make void, this is really important, we can make void the word of God by a tradition that has been handed down by men. That we can, we can get to the point, and this happened to a group of people called the Pharisees, that we can get so passionate about our human tradition that we can nullify the word of God. When our ideologies oppress and hurt people, which all eventually do, that nullifies the word of God. And so, no, we need to work hard right now. Again, this is a little bit more from last week. We need to work hard to make sure that what we're putting forth is the best that we possibly can be. Uh, God cares about because some people say like all this talk about like focusing on the spiritual does not God care about the physical. He absolutely does. In fact, he, he's so clear in, in Matthew 6. He says, look, man, look at the birds. Are they not fed really well? Look at the grass. Are they, that's here today and gone tomorrow. Look how beautiful they are. If he feeds the birds and he clothes the grass, is he not going to care about you? Is he not going to care about you? And this is what he says. So he says, so above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. So here's our focus. So what he's saying, he's like, look, God cares about your physical needs. God loves you. He, he's, you're so valuable to him. He, you, are, you are more valuable to him than you could ever think or imagine. He loves you so much. He died for you. He gave his son for you. He knows that you need these things and he's going to give them to you. He's going to give them to you. He is going to take care of you. But he says this in verse, he says, refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with the challenge that comes your way one day at a time to consistently chase after his kingdom, to chase after God. So our priority is that we have to go after God and God's going to take care of tomorrow. We get all caught up in worry and division and divide when we feel like we've got to make something happen. The truth is, if we follow any political party to the T, it will cause you eventually to nullify the word of God. And the sad reality in America is that when that gets challenged, 
instead of humility, seeing the wrong and the error and the sin based upon not the perspective of men, but the word of God. We double down and we dig in our heels and the divide gets bigger and the pain gets longer and the suffering continues. But I really believe that one of the things that God would shake loose from us for our joy, for our peace and the good of all people, that God would shake loose among his people in 2020 is the tight grip that we have on our politics, on our affiliations, and made man constructs and ideologies. God will not be a pawn in our agenda. You know, in John 6, if you, you know, go a couple chapters forward after John 4, you know, he's with his disciples and they feed a, a group of 5,000 people plus women and children. I mean, he's, people are just loving Jesus. And they decided that they, they wanted to make him king, but Jesus refused. And the reason why he refused is because they wanted to use his, Jesus for his own agenda. They go, we want you to be our king so you will take care of the Romans. He's like, I'm not here to take care of the Romans. I'm not here. That's not what my kingdom is about. I am here to set up a kingdom that, that is not of this world, that sits above this world, that starts in the human heart and transforms heart from the inside. And it was very subversive. He, Rome ended up getting dealt with, but not the way that they thought. So how do we break free? Well, again, we, last week we talked about the water. This week I want to talk about the power that's in the word because it is the word of God that transformed and free this woman up, that broke her free from her ideologies as well as her past hurt and pain. I mean, it, it led her to like skipping in the streets saying, let me tell you about a man who has told me everything that I've ever done. You see, this word of God reveals God, but it also reveals us. It revealed, the word of God revealed who this woman was. It doesn't just help you see God, but it helps you see yourself. It helps you to see your sin. It helps you to see your pride, your apathy, your bigotry, your arrogance, your, your bias, your prejudice. It helps you to see you. It helps you to see what's wrong in a, in a, in a loving, in a gracious way, a way that brings optimism, that brings hope, uh, that doesn't bring shame and condemnation, but it brings liberation. James says that the word of God is like a mirror. It is a soul examining mirror that helps you minimize your own voice about you, that helps you minimize the voice of others about you and helps you to maximize the voice of God about you. And it's this word of God that examined her life and set her free. And this to me blows my mind because when you think about it, okay, I mean, just to put it, Crassly, I mean, just the, the social structure back then is you had Jewish men and then you had Jewish women and then you had Jewish children and then you had a Samaritan man, a Samaritan woman. Now you're not going to say, then this Samaritan woman. Now I'm off the camera shot. But that's where this woman was. She was a victim of 700 years of bigotry, racism, and oppression on the top of personal pain, rejection, and her own sinfulness. And get this, get this. One conversation with Jesus eclipsed all that pain, all that oppression, all of it. His word in our life is power. It's efficacious. It's, it's life-giving with one Word, he spoke the world into existence. If you read in Psalm, it says his word is so powerful, it twists the trees of Lebanon like they're nothing. In, Lebanon, in the trees of Lebanon, by the way, were these legendary big trees, kind of like the redwood trees in California. 
It untangled her false allegiance in her. It untangled the effects of the oppression and the sin and, and, and everything that had this woman bound up, the word of God set her free. But listen, it didn't just set her free. We'll, we'll read about next week about how it set the whole town free. And check this out. It set the Jews free. It set the Jews free. See, God's word brings freedom to the oppressed, but it also brings freedom to the oppressor simultaneously because it's not just the oppressed that are in bondage, it's the oppressors are in bondage as well. And God loves them both and wants to set both of them free. So at Jubilee, we can recognize the division in our country, but can we see the secondary alliances being a threat to the peace and joy of our progress because they minimize who Christ is. I'm almost done here. And we'll get some uh, piano music here for us playing softly so it makes the, the point more impactful and less painful. The Colossians 2.8 says this, Beware that no one distracts you or intimidates you in their attempt to lead you away from Christ's fullness. By pretending to be full of wisdom when they are filled with endless arguments of human logic. If I could pick a verse that describes the United States of America in 2020, this would certainly be one of them. We are filled with endless arguments of human logic, which leads us nowhere. For they operate with humanistic and clouded judgments based upon the mindset of this world system and not the anointed truths of the anointed ones. I love that. The anointed truths of the anointed one. How do you know that you are walking in the anointed truth of the anointed one, that you're not you, that you, are, you, don't have, you don't allow secondary allegiances to eclipse your allegiance to Christ. How do you know? How do you know that you're following the traditions of man and you're not genuinely following Christ? Well, Jesus gave us that answer. He said to his followers, he says that they will know that you're mine. They will know that you have a pure allegiance to me, that you love me by the opinions that you express on Facebook. That's not what it says. It says that you will know, that they will know that you're mine by the stances that you take and the policies that you're for. It's not that, it's not how many verses we'll quote. It doesn't matter how we vote. It doesn't matter how bad we are or how good we are. It says the world will know, the unbelieving world will know that God is who he says he is and that he abides in us and through us by how we love each other, how we love our neighbor. How can we say God? How can we say we love God, but we hate our neighbor, we hate our brother? How can we say we love God that we can't see, but we hate our brother that we can see? Anyone who does not love his brother cannot claim that he loves God. I mean, it would have been a lot more convenient if he would have just said, hey, if you love God, that'll prove that you are aligned with me. That's very ethereal, 
very abstract. But he said our love for God cannot be abstract. It is, it, it is reflected in how we love other people. Will we love other people? I want to end. This is the second reference to wanting to end, but I really mean it this time. Um, what brings us all together is it's about, it's about our allegiance to Christ. This is what brings us all together. This is what's going to help us get us through. In Psalm 86, 11, it says, teach me more about you, how you work and how you move so that I can walk onward in your truth until everything within me brings honor to your name, brings honor to your name. Um, I had a friend once in explaining this verse, explained it was really how you and I make decisions. He, he said that, you know, that, that the way that we make decisions is we all have a boardroom in our heart. We all have a board, you know, there's water bottles, there's a space and a chair for everyone. And in those chairs, there's the, you know, there's our relational self, there's our social self, there's our economic self, there's our religious self, there's our political self. There's all these characteristics of who we are. And every time we make we have a decision to make, you know, everybody gets a vote. And that's pretty much how we make decisions. And when you and I uh, invite Jesus into our life, there are two ways that we can invite him. One is that we give him a seat at the table. He's one of the members of our boardrooms. And we add him to our life. But there's another way the biblical way that we invite Jesus into our life. is say, Jesus, come into my boardroom and I want you to fire everyone. That's what it means for everything within you to honor your name. I've come to pray this prayer um, every day now it's in Psalm 5.3, and I just want to pray. I want you to pray this with me. It says, every morning I lay out the pieces of my life on the altar, and I wait for, you, wait for your fire to fall upon my heart. We live in turbulent times, and there are things that are pulling us away from pure devotion to Christ, to our allegiance to Christ. And I just want to invite us to pray this prayer, that our hearts would be truly united to him, that we can every morning lay out the pieces of our life and say, God, may your fire fall upon my heart. So that's how I want to pray for you right now. Father, I just thank you for this time that you've given us. I thank you for this opportunity to look over your word. And we just, we pray, pray for our nation, Lord Jesus. We pray for our nation that you'd come and you'd heal our lane. Lord, we see the divide. Lord, we see the pain. We see the, the suffering. We, we admit to it. We, we admit to being a part of it. We admit to being complicit to it. But God, we don't want to go around the issue. God, we want to head right through it. Lord Jesus, <laughs> we don't want to skirt around the issue. God, we want to go right to it. And Lord, we just pray, Lord Jesus, we know that you are the, we know that you are the answer. Lord, we just want to fall away from that uh, we just pray, Lord, these secondary allegiances would fall 
away from us. Lord, we don't want anything to nullify your word in our life. Your word is power. Your, your word is life. Your word is transformative. It can eclipse the pain and the suffering that, that this nation is experiencing. So God, we pray, Lord, we, we want to humbly turn to you and we just, we look to you in all grace and all mercy. And God, I do pray that, Lord, that our love for you would not be ethereal. Lord, I pray you keep us from that. I pray that our love would be genuine and that our love for you vertically would motivate us to move out horizontally and love our brother, to love our neighbor, to bear their burden and to be a witness, to be a witness to your grace and mercy. We pray these things in your name. Amen.